Welcome to the Jenna and Tosh show. I'm Tosh Taylor. And I'm Jenna Morton. And today we have a very special episode and a very particular topic. And we want to let you know before we get into everything, in case you're listening to this with uh, little ears around or watching, today we're going to focus on talking about trauma and specifically what we as adults can do to help the children in our lives right now talking about the pandemic, the war in Ukraine. There's a lot of heavy things going on in our world. So we have reached out to Dr. Haley Watson, who is a clinical psychologist to join us today. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much. It's such a pleasure to be here. We are so looking forward to this discussion. I've watched some of the interviews and some of the talks that you've given previously. And I know people are going to really take a lot from this conversation. Before we dive really into those specifics about what we can be doing right now, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and and your organization, Open Parachute? Yeah, absolutely. So as you mentioned, I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been working with schools specifically for about 15 years globally. I'm originally from British Columbia, um, but my PhD focused on school bullying interventions. And out of that and my clinical practice working with families and schools and children, I've built a program called Open Parachute that is a video-based mental health school curriculum. And what we do is we film young people sharing their own stories of overcoming struggle. And then we put those in a classroom along with exercises so that it's really easy for teachers to help their students really understand through that peer-based learning and feel safe to explore what they're going through, the challenges they're facing so that they can build practical mental health skills. I love that. As soon as you talk about that idea of the, the peer videos, I'm right back in my like grade eight classroom watching Degrassi high videos. <laughs> <laughs> and they were so powerful. Like they have stayed with me for 30 years. Yeah. How unusual is it for that to be happening right now? I haven't heard of a program doing that. Yeah, there's no other program that we know of that's doing this. And it's so important. I mean, when we think we all know this, as soon as you say it, people go, oh, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Kids listen to other kids. Teenagers listen to other teenagers. They are not going to listen to an adult, even a parent. A lot of the times that comes in and says, this is what you should do. And it's normal to feel this way. They are so focused on fitting in with their peers. They need to hear the words coming out of their mouth. This is what I felt. This is what I struggle with. And that normalizes it and makes it safe for them to actually say, oh yeah, okay, me too. Now I can get into sort of actually talking about it. Otherwise we just stay on the surface. We're just throwing things at them and telling them what to do. And it goes in one ear and out the other, like it does for all of us when someone just tells us what to do that we don't personally connect to. What, what age group does Open Parachute start with? Um, K to 12. So we have programs oh. for all ages. So we, I mean, this, the filming is my favorite part is I get to go around and I personally interview all the kids. And so we have kids as, as old as sort of 18, 19 in the oldest programs and all the way down to sort of six and seven years old, which are beautiful little interviews. And of course, so it's, it's all talking about things that happen at that age group in their language and their terms from their perspective, so that we can really give kids that context of what does that mean and how do they learn to be okay with it and speak up about the things that are hard. Oh, I love it. I mean, Tosh and I love storytelling. We love letting people tell their stories. And that is so important to know that you're doing this for these children to give them that platform of, you know, you are heard, your story matters. Yeah. Can you give us 
some of those examples of, you know, at the different stages, what kind of discussions you're having? Absolutely. So at the younger stages, I mean, an interview I did just recently, um, two young people that had a sibling that that has a um, learning disability. And so that what is that perspective like? What is that like for them? How do they cope with that? And really normalizing the feelings that come up for that, you know, that as a sibling of, of a child that struggles. Um, and then all the way up through, we have a lot of stories. I mean, right now, the way that um, especially young girls feel about, you know, issues of consent and, you know, people talking about their bodies or sexualizing their bodies. So as they get older, we have conversations around that of what that feels like um, for kids of different genders, but there are sort of struggles in terms of moving through that. Um, and then getting older, things like addictive patterns, you know, what leads to that? How does, how does it go that a, a young person ends up being at a party and, you know, being exposed to things and feeling like they get sucked into that life and what are the trauma patterns that lead to that, that feeling of loneliness and wanting to be a part of the crowd and those kinds of things. Um, and then things as simple as school stress, you know, that, that challenge of feeling the pressure and wanting to succeed and where does that come from and how do we, you know, build up that capacity to make choices for our own well-being when we're facing a lot of external pressures. So basically it's, all the different things. I mean, that's one of the beautiful things of using peer stories is that we get all of these layers, you know, someone being bullied, you know, which links maybe to the way something that happened when they were younger or a sudden move or changing schools, like all of these weaving interlayered um, you know, patterns that happen when we think of like an end result, we look at it and we say, oh, you know, that child is addicted to something or that child can't get off their phone. And we have to go and unpack that and go, well, hang on a minute what are all the things that led to that and that's how we really you know understand and help every young person understand why they're doing the things they're doing what are some of the things they might encounter that are hard and how are they going to build up the skills to overcome them jenna and i both have kids that kind of we arrange from grade two to grade five right at the moment jenna's oldest will be going off to middle school this year and my next year and i am sure she feels the same way i do like <laughs> You know, what am I going to do uh, with middle school and how do you prepare your kid for middle school? Which, so, so a program like this would just be fantastic yeah. because I really feel, especially with my daughter, that she um, maybe isn't quite ready for mm -hmm. middle school and what she's about to, you know, come across in middle school. Yes. So what a fantastic way to prep them with things that that you wouldn't think about at home yeah. talking to them about exactly and that's the thing because these conversations are hard and they're awkward and often often kids don't even want to have the conversation with their parents because it's sort of like ah you know don't talk to me about that and so and also with teachers that's a hard conversation to bring up so the only way we can actually make sure every child learns this is if we put it in this context where they're hearing from someone and we have specifically a, a program that's that transition what does it mean to transition into high school or middle school and what what is that going to look like because there's lots of fears that are underneath the surface that kids don't necessarily have the language to express so we don't even know that they're worried about it but any kind of change or transition we really want to make sure they're prepped in advance that this is what you might feel this is these are some of the worries you might be having let's uncover those so that you can really get to the bottom of them and, and know that you're going to be okay and know what to do if you're not okay what 
kind of response have you been seeing and changes you've been seeing? Because this program is in place in various schools across the world yeah. now, right? Yes, it is. Absolutely. So the biggest change is with a few layers of it. So one is with the students, which is the core of what the program's about. So the biggest thing that we hear from them is I didn't realize I wasn't the only one consistently, you know, and that's across the board. And then really the building up of skills. So teachers are saying they're watching kids on the playground, they can actually resolve conflicts because a lot of what we deal with in the program is interpersonal stuff because that's what's relevant for kids, you know, fights with friends, you know, and, and we really work on building up empathy, building up an understanding. How do you set boundaries? What do you say? You like practice all those things. So their teachers are noticing that students can actually resolve things something happens and they actually kind of can take steps to come to a resolution for themselves and also interpersonally. And that's so powerful because that's the whole aim of the program is the skill building. You know, there's a lot of stuff out there that's raising awareness about mental health, but that's not what kids need. They don't need, they, they need to know it's okay to not be okay, but they need so much more than that. They need to know what do I do? So that's the biggest outcome. And then the other part that's super exciting that we, we didn't start off making a program for teachers. We started off making a program for students. But what we're realizing is that, I mean, it's so hard for teachers to know how to have these conversations. You know, so many teachers I work with want to support their kids, you know, have so many, have a desire to support their students, but they just don't have the language. And so by going through the program with students, because it's a guided discussion that they're facilitating, but they don't need to sort of lead it, they get to the end of it and they actually that now have the language. So they're saying things like, now I know what to say when a child is you know, being bullied or if a child is stressed about work, I, I've actually already had that conversation because we had it in this guided way in the program. And that just absolutely warms my heart because what we need is we need so many adults in the young person's life to know just the simple things to say, the simple ways that they can turn a situation of struggle into an opportunity of growth, into a place where a student feels supported. And all these little micro interactions, when teachers have that skill set and when parents have that skill set, because there's a parent component of it too, that really, really helps every young person that they ever encounter them. That was actually my next question is how do parents get their hands on this? Like, <laughs> like, give it to me. I need it. Yeah, I need it all. I need it all. Uh, yeah, but, like if, if, if your child's school hasn't jumped on board with it yet, how could a parent or even a homeschooling situation, right, be, be able to get that? Yeah, absolutely. So, so it's designed to be run in a classroom setting, but we do have, so parents can also access it. We have lots of, um, you know, we do it usually in a group context in the sense that sort of a network of parents that are doing homeschooling homeschooling, but we have networks of parents that are doing homeschooling and the parent logs in and runs through the resources with their child as well. So basically, if, if you are a parent and you're wanting access, you know, get your school to get in touch with us or um, get your network to get in touch with us. And yeah, that we, we want it to be in as many hands as possible. So we talked kind of a bit at the beginning about the fact that we have this, these other layers of trauma that are coming into our lives right now that at some level, all of us are dealing with, you know, we're living through a global pandemic. Now we're living through war, which most of us have not seen so closely as we are in Canada right now. What can you help? <laughs> what can you say to, to parents and to teachers right now that they can help students start to try to understand and make sense of what's happening? 
Absolutely. So the most important thing with all of this is to give students a space to really talk about it and acknowledge how it feels for them. So we live in a world right now which is rife with repression, let's just say. We all just want to get on with things. We have a fast-paced world. We've developed this sort of ideal that if we can just bury things and pretend we're okay, then that's great. <laughs> and we kind of all do that. If we don't see it, then that means it's not there. But it is there. I think the biggest thing to recognize is that every child is impacted right now, whether you see it or not. You want to start with that assumption. You do not want to assume my child seems fine. They, they mentioned it. It's no big deal to them. We want to assume it is a big deal to them and we want it to be a big deal to them because it's a challenge. So we want to actively ask them you know, sit them down, have a conversation. Hey, this is what's going on. What have you heard about it? What are the things that have come up for you, whether it's the war, whether it's the pandemic, what has been your experience? And then help them understand and process that. What are the feelings that they feel? What is it like for them? Does it feel scary? Does it feel lonely? Do they feel, you know, what are the things that they're feeling? What are the thoughts that are coming up as a result of that? Because this is what happens with trauma. We experience something, we have an emotional reaction to it, and then our mind starts to interpret that. So a lot of kids, their mind will start interpreting, you know, the world is a scary place or everything, you know, there's no, I have no control over anything. Things can change without, you know, without me being able to, to help myself. Um, you know, a lot of kids will be thinking, you know, people are going to die that I know, you know, they, when they hear, there's war, you know, they hear people are dying, they hear these words, it doesn't make sense to them. A child's world is so small, anything that they hear, they think is happening, you know, in their inner circle. So are our, our planes going to fly over our home and get bombed? Like these are the things that are normal for kids to think. So they you want to make sure that they can identify that. And so you can normalize that by saying, hey, it's, it's really normal to be worried about things right now. It's normal to be thinking things. Are you thinking any of those thoughts? And then you want to help them recognize once they've said it out loud, it won't, it doesn't have such a weight to it. And we can say, yeah, it's normal to think those things. And then you can break it down and say, but let's look at why, why we're okay. Let's then take the conversation to how, what are the things that we have to support ourselves? You know, what are the things that we've done to make it through this? You know, we get to that conversation, but a lot of the times we want to skip that first bit and we just want to go to you're fine it's fine everything's fine <laughs> you know you're you're safe and we want to first take them through that journey of well what does this feel like for you what is the hard part what are you worried about then we can help them get to that place of well no that that's okay and that means they haven't repressed it they've actually processed it I think that's so important as parents to hear because our our gut reaction is you know to try to protect children yes. and you want to protect them from those scary feelings and reassure them they're safe but to realize that to really do that you have to acknowledge the fear first yes exactly exactly and you said such a great thing there which is exactly what we do we think we have to protect kids from the feeling and we don't the the best thing we can do because we can't we actually can't kids are going to feel what they're going to feel and so when we have even that belief like it's really good to break that down in ourselves anyway because even when we hold that and we're not acting on it kids pick up on it <laughs> like if we are worried about their feelings they're going to try to get rid of those feelings 
either for our benefit or for their benefit. And so the more we can, you know, the response when they're struggling needs to be, it's okay that you're feeling this way. I can handle your feelings. You can handle your feelings. Your feelings are not, are not going to destroy you. They're okay. And let's look at where they came from. I can protect you from the things that you're worried about, but I can't protect you from the feeling. And that's a really big distinction. And the more we enable kids and give them the tools to feel those feelings, then that means we, we know we've given them the resources. They can go out into the world and no matter what happens to them, they know how to deal with their internal response, which is all that we really can do when once they're you know out of our care. I think a major thing that we, we grew up believing, you know, the phrase kids are so versatile. It's okay. They're so versatile. They'll get over it. Uh, Yeah. Like, and, but they're not, (laughs) you know, like a a lot of things that, um, you know, us being eighties babies and, and growing up in that mindset, I find like my daughter said the other day, when I told her that new Brunswick was lifting after March break, she wouldn't have to wear a mask in class. And she was like, Oh my God. I, I'm going to finally know what my friends look like. And I was like, what, what do you mean? You know? And she's like, well, I've just forgotten it. And I was like, did you not like wearing masks? Like I knew she didn't like them, but you know what I mean? I, she never, ever mentioned it in two years. She never brought up the fact that she didn't like wearing masks and I never thought to ask. So I, you know, I, I wish I had a thought to ask, how are you feeling about this? How are things going in school? But I didn't. And I almost wonder if then it adds more pressure on my kid because I'm not bringing it up. It's such a good point. And I love your honesty there because it is, it's natural. That's what we do. You know, we just get on with it. We're, we're, we know they're safe. We know they're okay. If they don't bring it up, we think, okay, it's fine. Um, But absolutely, if we don't ask them, you know, again, we, the assumptions that we make in our brain, right? All of us, and this is not to, you know, it's no fault of parents in any way, you know, like it's really important to know that there's, you haven't done anything wrong, you know, that this is just the way it is, that children's brains will just make up their own story because that's what we do, you know, of what, this is the situation I'm in, I'm interpreting it in a certain way because of my um, background and my history and my biology. And so if we don't ask, we don't know how they're interpreting it. And so they might, you know, kids are very perceptive. And so they might see, you know what, every time we talk about the pandemic or mask wearing, that really upsets mom and dad because they're stressed about it, which is normal. Of course, of course, we're stressed about it. But in their mind, they might go, well, if I don't bring it up, then then I'm not adding to that stress. So if we ask, then we can uncover that. And it's okay, again, it's all okay. It's just reality is what we're dealing with. But if we can ask the question, and and so you can ask it now, there's no problem with asking it now to say, hey, let's talk about this. What was that like for you? What, and, and, you know, did you feel like you couldn't bring it up? You know, and, and you'll probably, she'll probably have a lot of really good things to say. Well, ah, oh, you know, I was worried. I didn't want to, didn't want to worry you or, you know, everyone's telling me that I have to do it. And so I felt like I was going to be complaining if I, if I said anything, there's all sorts of messages that they would have picked up from what's going on around them. And so anytime we realize that that's the beautiful thing, anytime we realize that that's the perfect time to ask the question. You know, it doesn't matter if it was five years ago or 10 years ago or just yesterday, 
We ask now and we can always, always retroactively process our trauma. That's the cool thing. No matter when it's happened, we always have the chance in the moment to reconnect to those feelings and go, okay, let's reorganize that. Let's reorganize our thinking around that. Let's realize that we can do something different going forward and that we're safe and it's okay. And we don't have to have those feelings buried. I'm just, I'm so like energized now to have these discussions with my children that the same thing, as much as I think we talk about things, I'm like, oh, did we really talk about them or did we talk around them? Such a good distinction. I like the way that you put that, that, that how you almost put a happy spin on, we can go back and, and talk about it later. Like we, yeah. we could always access this stuff years later when a lot of people are like, oh no, we've got to push it, like push it away, push it away instead of bringing it back up and dealing with it. I, I love that you put that. So like a happy spin on it. <laughs> Most people would go backwards on it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, because when you bring it up, it's like, it's not pleasant when you bring it up. Of course, it's not going to be happy. There's going to be sadness or feelings, but the cool thing is those feelings are there, whether we bring them up or not. But if we bring them up, then we move through them. And a lot of the times we release them. So it's like, do you want to carry around all that heavy baggage that you don't even know is there? Or do you want to realize that you're carrying it for a while, struggle with that for a bit and then put it down? <laughs> you know, it's sort of that, that's the, the, the process. I love that imagery. Just, cool. Yep. Yeah. Put it down. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think we could probably talk all day about this, but we don't have all day. So before we finish, I want to give you the opportunity, Dr. Watson, to tell everyone where they can find out more about your program and about you. Yeah, absolutely. So at openparachuteschools.com is our website and you can learn all about our program and our resources um, and point any schools to that um, to contact us anytime. And that's probably the, the best place. And then I can also be found on LinkedIn and, and social media and stuff. But the, the best place to sort of learn about what we're doing is um, openparachuteschools.com. I don't know about you, Jenna, but yeah, I'll be sending it to my principal. <laughs> I don't know about you. <laughs> but I was gonna say, we'll make sure we've got the links to it all in uh, in the show notes. And uh, we really appreciate you taking the time to talk with us about this because I know that it's it's a conversation that we all need to have pretty much constantly for the next several years, I think, to get, a, get ourselves all through what's happened and is going to happen. Absolutely. And thank you so much for, for talking about this and bringing this up because it is so important and it is something that not a lot of people talk about. So thank you so much for, for making this a, a conversation that people are going to hear. Yeah.